Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. It's the start of a new week. It's going to be a good week, and we're going to be in the Word together. We're going to finish up the book of 1 Timothy tomorrow, Tuesday, and then we're going to start the book of Hosea, and that's going to take us through all the way to when we break for the end of the year, come back in January with something new, all right? So let's, uh, let's do 1 Timothy chapter 5 today. My name is Tim Harris. This is 10 with Tim. We take 10 minutes every day, Monday through Friday. We go verse by verse through the Word of God, and today Today we are in the fifth chapter of the New Testament letter uh, called 1 Timothy. Paul writes this letter to Timothy who he has left behind in Ephesus to sort of clean up the mess, the leadership mess there, establish a pattern and a foundation of good leadership, which brings us to chapter 5. I love this chapter. Uh, we don't talk a lot about what Paul gives his instructions here about widows, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. I love this little set of instructions here, which basically say, don't ever speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully like he was your father. Talk to younger men like they're your brothers. Treat older women like your mothers. Treat younger women like your sisters in all purity as you would uh, inside a family. I just love this. It's just basic, and most of us, I think, just get this instinctively. But Christ really cares about the everyday way we treat one another in the church. He really cares about how you treat every single person. Uh, what about the person you don't like? Well, that's your problem. That's your heart problem. You don't get to have people you don't like, you know, not if your heart's right with Jesus. Uh, everybody is like part of your family. And if it's an older man, you're going to honor him like he was your father. Some of us don't treat our own fathers very well. Again, Jesus is assuming the best in all of us that we know how to treat family. And you're just going to treat everybody like family. So if it's an older man, like he's your father, like he's your grandfather, an older woman, adopt her like she's your mama, your grandmother. Uh, my goodness, in this church, I've been so blessed with the women of this church, the older women of this church. Um, I haven't had an earthly grandmother since I was a teenager, you know. So through most of my adult life, uh, I've just sort of adopted the women of a church as my grandmothers, you know, my, my grandmas. And uh, oh my goodness, I, I'm now reaching the age where they can't be my grandma anymore <laughs> because they're like my sisters. You know, I've become, a, a, I'm grandparent age, right? Um, but still, it's just this basic, wonderful, delightful way to be in the world and to be in the church. It's just to, it's ever, treat everybody like family, brothers and sisters. And, and this means affection. This means respect. I think that's what Paul's getting to. These everyday relationships are to be characterized by the intimate respect you would find within a family of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and, and grandparents, right? Uh, so I, I love that. But then from there, Paul goes into a longer excursion where he's talking about how, how, to, how, to, how to see widows in the church. The problem always with, with, with treatment of people inside the church is that the most vulnerable are most likely to be mistreated. And in this particular culture, it would be the older women. They are less likely to be economically stable. They're most likely, perhaps, to not have anybody. And so Paul wants to make sure that the most vulnerable in the congregation, uh, we put some uh, guardrails around them so that we make sure that they are treated well. And, and in Paul's day, and probably still in our day, it's the widows, the widows who, who need special care. Now, in chapter 5, I see three different kinds of widows. And you read it carefully and tell me what you see. But first off, verses 3 through 8, widows in need. 
as I've said before, and as you probably know, uh, in Paul's day, uh, women, uh, there weren't, uh, you know, opportunities for women to work outside the home. And so it was very important that women were cared for, widows were cared for. If you don't have a man, a husband, or if you don't have a, you know, a son or somebody to provide for you, take you in their home, they were going to be absolutely desperately destitute. So that's why Paul's first concern is widows in need, and they should be cared for. Uh, notice how for Paul, several times in this chapter, he emphasizes that, that Christ is followed first inside your family. In other words, you call yourself a Christian, but you got a mama who's elderly and, and she's suffering and you're not taking care of her. Man, that's worse than not being a Christian at all. To be a Christian and not taking care of your family. You know, you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, but you got kids out there and you don't acknowledge them. Man, that's worse than not being a Christian at all. I mean, Paul is using harsh words here, but he just means, man, if you're going to be a Christ follower, that's going to start at home. And, and the way you follow Jesus is going to best and first be displayed in the way th that those who are related to you fare. You know what I'm saying? And so Paul stresses that, that you know, if, if, if it's a Christian family, they got kids, they got, you know, grandkids, then yeah, you're going to follow Jesus by taking care of the elderly women in your family. Paul also stresses that I mean, some of these women probably aren't in need. And so don't let them exploit the emotions and the pocketbooks of others if, if their need isn't genuine. So again, widows in need deserve to be cared for, and we're going to take special care of them. Secondly, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about uh, what I guess I would just call enlisted widows. We don't know a lot about what this means, but it seems like in Ephesus and maybe elsewhere, uh, there was a special kind of ministry for widows. And I don't mean like they're going to receive ministry. I think these women are going to serve. Notice how in verses 9 and 10, the widows put on the list, like the, the widows list, these enlisted women. It's that they have the very same qualifications as male deacons. Don't miss that. So this isn't just women that we're going, you know, like meals on wheels, you know. No, these are women that are given a certain kind of characteristic qualifications for ministry. And so I think it's interesting. I mean, for example, they got to be a one-man woman, you know, just like a deacon had to be a one-woman man. You know, so these are qualifications for ministry, verses 9 and 10. So what Paul calls the widow's list, these enlisted widows, must be set aside for a particular function, particular kind of ministry in the church, and I love that. And then finally, Paul has special instructions in verses 11 to 15 for, for young widows. Young widows are not to be treated like the older women. Uh, in other words, Paul, you, you don't want the church to get into the situation of funding idleness. Younger widows, they could still live productive lives. They're likely to want to get married. And once more, like we talked about Friday, Paul wants, you know, hey, let them get married. Marriage is a good thing. They should get married. They're still young. They got a lot of, you know, still got a lot of, you know, years. And uh, they, they still, you know, look like they could probably go get a husband. So let them get married, you know. Let, let them get married. I wouldn't want them to fall into the devil's trap, Paul would say. And then verses 17 to 22, um, 17, kind of all the way to the end, but 17 to 22, um, Paul's giving special instructions for just the elders in the church. Now, I know it's kind of trendy for churches to have elders these days. I say trendy. I'm not, I don't mean they're not serious. I just mean it's kind of a thing. It wasn't a thing 2020, not, not in Baptist circles. I'm a Baptist minister, but more Baptist churches are having elders. Um, 
and, and they assume they're getting from this passage or from passages like this. We don't know what elders did in the New Testament. Can we just be honest? We don't know what they did. From this passage, it sounds like when Paul talks about elders, he's speaking uh, kind of specifically about preachers and teachers who are ordained. So ordained preachers and teachers in this particular context. And notice that for Paul, uh, some, some may preach, some may teach. Uh, some are paid, some are not. But Paul is all about paying some. I mean, I think it's interesting that this early stage in the church's life, I mean, the primitive church, Paul's already talking about you know, certain people who were paid for ministry. And Paul defends it. Now, Paul himself doesn't take a paycheck. He doesn't really accept a love offering very often. But he certainly protects that privilege for others. Paul says, I think they should get it. If, if they teach well, if they preach well, if they serve well, pay them. You know, pay them. You don't muzzle the oxen who's treading out the corn, you know, and, and that's the saying there. Those who work deserve their pay. Um, early in my ministry, I struggled with being paid to do what it seemed like every Christian ought to do anyway. It was this very passage which helped me make peace with that, you know, that uh, that uh, being paid allows a, a, a particular person with a particular vocational calling to pursue that full time. And that is a benefit to the church. It's a benefit to the kingdom when people with special gifts, special callings are allowed to pursue that. Um, although, I mean, my goodness, the gospel is carried probably primarily throughout history and throughout the world right now through people who are otherwise employed with another job. So it's not for everybody, but Paul is saying not everybody's paid, not everybody's is, is volunteer, but some are, some aren't. In the same way, some serve well, some serve less well. Uh, and Paul is honest about that. There are really three ways of relating to elders in this passage. The first one, verse 22, is ordination. Uh, the second one is, is honor. And then verse 20, correction. Paul gives instructions for how to actually correct an, an elder. And I think that's important. Why do you think some serve well and some aren't so, you know, some are good, some are not so good? Uh, I, I guess it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, for one, the, the gifts are just different. Not everybody has the same gifts. The individual, not every individual is like every other individual. We, we don't all relate to people in the same way. But then I just want to remind you, those of you who are uh, probably you know lay folks, remind you that just the, the people we serve, um, uh, the minister that I am and the minister I'm becoming has a whole lot to do with the people I serve. Uh, I did not start out in Woodburn you know, 27 years ago as a gifted speaker. It was terrifying to me, and it was the hardest part about surrendering to my call was knowing that I'd be speaking all the time. Um, this congregation has listened to me into being a good preacher. Good listeners make good preachers. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why I thank you every day for being a part of Tim with Tim with me. You make me a better teacher because you're good students of the word. You interact with me. You question me. You, uh, you, you make me study well. You, you see what I'm saying? Good listeners make good preachers. And, and for that matter, I would say a good church makes a good pastor. And so before you throw one out or before you criticize the, you know, the, the pastor that's leading your church, um, and I recognize I'm talking to a lot of people from a lot, a lot of different places, a lot of locations. I don't know all of your pastors. I don't know all of you. But I just remind you, uh, it's good listening that makes good preaching. It's, it's, it's good churches that make good pastors. And so uh, but before you decide that, that, that your pastor is the problem and he needs to go, search your heart. You know, if, if your church has gone through, you, like you go through a preacher every two years, it may be something with the congregation that makes it especially hard for a leader to put down roots and, 
and, uh, and, and bring you along. It could be a problem with the church. I'm just saying that. I love Woodburn. I am blessed to serve here. You're the best congregation in the world. And as I say, you have, are making me, I pray, to be a better man every single day of my life. But not every church is like that. And I confess, not every leader is like that. That's why Paul gives instructions for correction here. At any rate, I'm out of time. I will see you guys in the morning. Uh, we'll start with chapter six. We're going to finish up. Uh, no, no, no. Let's just go through. No, let's finish it. We'll finish First Timothy tomorrow. Let's do all, uh, all the verses, all 21 verses of First Timothy chapter 6. Okay, so it's chapter 6 for tomorrow. We'll finish it up and we'll start Hosea on Wednesday. How's that? I love you guys. I love you so much. I will see you in the morning. Lord willing, 10 o'clock for 10 with Tim. Have a great Monday.